All right. Ready? Okay. Hi, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Steven. And this is Suspend Belief, a bi-weekly podcast where we provide personal stories and in-depth analyses of our most polarizing political and social issues. With the hope that just for an episode's time, you might suspend your beliefs and consider a new perspective. Welcome back to the second half of our two-part episode on Trump voters. If there ever was a time where it felt impossible to bring two sides of the political spectrum together, this is certainly it. But to finish our two-part episode on Donald Trump's voters, this week we're focusing on women. Both the interviewers and the interviewees will be women this time around, which we thought was necessary since at least 53% of white women ended up voting for Donald Trump last November. First, Cheryl will be talking to Anna, a young Marine wife who works for the Center for Bioethical Reform. And then our friend Murr will talk to an older voter from Texas named Maria Garza. And just so we're all on the same page, we thought you should know that these interviews were done just before the inauguration, so neither party could really comment yet on how it's been since Trump officially took office. That's why we've asked both of them for little updates to their position on Trump, which we'll be reading at the end of the interviews. Anyway, let's get to it. me when. Go ahead. You're good. Okay. My name is Anna. I am a newly married new mom living in Southern California. Uh, My husband's a Marine. He's currently deployed and I have a 17 month old daughter named Sasha Rose. Uh, I work for the Center for Bioethical Reform. It is an anti-abortion organization that works around the world, but uh, primarily, or I should say our main platform is on uh, college campuses here in the U.S. Okay, awesome. I actually had no idea you worked for the Center for Bioethical Reform. So that kind of can lead into some of the questions. I know I already told you that I crowdsourced some questions from people who did not vote for Donald Trump. And Mm -hmm. as the title of this episode, for people who are already listening already know, you have voted for Donald Trump. And um, I think to start with, I wanted to know like what your political affiliation was before and how you voted in the past. I know we're relatively young, but Sure. I am relatively young. Uh, this is actually my first presidential election in terms of voting. Uh, I am a registered Republican, although uh, m- when I look at some issues um, on, on both platforms, I, I think I could probably identify uh, with both, pla- both platforms in some senses, uh, but I, I am a registered Republican. Interesting. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Um. So I went to school for conflict analysis and resolution, and um, it's I mean, quite a liberal program. It's at George Mason University, um, but I think just some of the the ideas that resonate with the Democratic Party, and I, and I mean a very slim scope of their ideas. I, I still, um, you know, I can I think they're appealing in some sense, uh, specifically when the Democratic Party talks about underprivileged or minority populations. 
Oh, really? Wow. That is so fascinating. My brain is already, like, my mind is already blown. Yeah. Um, I should mention, though, that uh, I am a, I mean, you could call it a one-issue voter. Obviously, abortion is something that I strongly disagree with. Um, and that's always and probably will always be my highest priority when it comes to my vote. Interesting. Okay, so when you when you voted for Donald Trump, did your family and, like, people around you all pretty much share that that opinion? Uh, most of my friends, no. Um, family, uh, I know my parents voted for Trump. My, um, my friends, in terms of my close friends, my close circle, um, they voted for Clinton. Interesting. And did you, were you one of the people who had very strong opinions against Secretary Clinton or was it more just like you were saying, a one issue, it was mainly about abortion? Uh, I, don't, I didn't necessarily have strong opinions about Clinton. No, uh, I I did strongly disagree with her in um, in her support of abortion. So, when did you become so interested in the issue of abortion? Like, did that happen at a certain moment, or is it something that you you and your family have always cared about? That's a that's a great question. Uh, Going into college, I remember thinking, yeah, I'm pro-life. It's maybe what I just should be. But then my freshman year of college, I, I kind of thought, you know, there's a different climate here. I'm growing up and I'm, I think, I think women should be pro-choice and that's what I'm going to claim. I'm going to start kind of molding myself to that um, identity. Uh, and then one day, uh, um, after my, I finished my freshman year, I was on campus in the summer for classes. And I just saw a poster, Pro-Life Help Wanted, and for some reason I called it. I don't know why, because here I am thinking I'm going to align with um, a more pro-choice vision. And uh, I called it, and I met with this person, and and they kind of did a, a brief presentation. And, and I should mention that the person works for the Center for Bioethical Reform, so this was my first kind of introduction to the organization. Um, and just kind of gave me a, a history of uh, the work that they do, of their tactics and strategies. And I was immediately intrigued, but I thought, okay, this is, you have the wrong person. I'm not willing to do this. Um, but they eventually kept calling. And I one day went with one of their, um, how I guess volunteers or staff members to the middle of the George Mason campus, kind of like the public quad. And we um, held a sign, uh, an image of a 10 week aborted fetus, baby, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and that was probably like the first time that I had ever done any real pro-life activism. And, and I kind of just listened a lot to the conversations that were happening, but we started doing it every week, once a week. It was just him and I, the staff member and I, and, um, eventually I, I started to engage in the conversations. Um, and then eventually he just kind of stepped away and I just did it by myself for the longest time. And he said, you should have a goal of starting a pro-life group on your campus, because that's going to translate ideas and conversations into action. Um, and sure enough, over time, I mean, it definitely took time. There was a lot of administrative barriers to starting a pro-life club on, um, on a college campus. Um, but over time, yeah, I was able to start uh, GMU Students for Life with the help of, you know, a couple other students. And, and then after I graduated, uh, I, I came out here to, to Southern California and sure enough, this CBR, Center for Bioethical Reform, their office was just an hour and a half north of where my husband and I were stationed. 
So I felt like it was just something that was definitely calling my name. And, um, you know, it's, it's really a once in a lifetime thing to be able to get out there on the front lines and talk to college age students and young people about an issue that's really been cast under a rug in our society. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds like you definitely got to the front lines very quickly. Um, I, I have a question. I'm just curious, is your stance that abortion should never happen? Um, I would say, except for in the case of the life of the mother. Um, and while, and, he, and here's and here's why. Um, for example, if you're topic, talking about something like in uh, ectopic pregnancy, for example, um, so that pregnancy isn't going to make it to full term. And then as um, the baby grows, uh, it's, it's toxic, it's lethal to the mother. Um, and at that point, uh, you have to end that pregnancy in order to save the mother's Life and there's 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 with absolute medical assurance that pregnancy will not go to um, a viable state for that baby, anyways. Um, so at that point, you know you're you're ending one life to save another, and and so I think intent is always very important. I see. Okay, and so um, I am not. This is mm-hmm. not my one issue. I'm always interested in the debate because I find that like. For some reason, Republicans and Democrats can't talk to each other about this normally, and I don't really understand sure. why. Um, sure. But I'm curious, so on, with your stance, like, do you guys push birth control then? Or, like, is there any way to prevent the pregnancy altogether? Or because on, The only reason I ask this is because, I mean, adoption is a horrible process that most people can't afford. If there's a lot of logistics here that if we save all the, all the children that are aborted... I don't know if we have something in place to support them. Okay, um, that's a that's a great question as well. Uh, first of all, I think that uh, personally, birth control uh, can serve a a purpose, um, but it's important for women to talk to their doctors uh, about you know what their birth control is in fact doing to their body. But um, and there are some uh, birth controls that are abortifacients, so they're taking a fertilized egg and they're discarding it. Um, and then even beyond that, um, um, I think that we should be able to um, champion safe birth control for women, um, and not just the easy, most affordable birth control. Um, and and I and I understand that's that's. Um, difficult to swallow given um, we're talking often about um, some women, I shouldn't say often, but some women that, you know, are, are seeking health care um, without insurance. So it's a difficult conversation to be, be had. But I think you also mentioned, uh, you know, well, what if all these children aren't aborted? Um, the adoption system's a mess. Um, what do we do then? Uh, and and you, you raise an interesting point that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the adoption process and, and reform in, in, in that sense. Um, but because what I, I'm misunderstanding, I guess, in your statement is, are you suggesting that we should only fo- focus on reform if uh, abortion becomes less accessible? Um, just either. I was wondering if, because I think that for someone like me who this is not their main issue, it's hard mm-hmm. because it seems like both sides of the aisle um, are only painting half of the picture. And I, I just was wondering if either the group that you work with or you personally believe that they should go hand in hand because I, um, I, I have a lot of experiences with people trying to adopt and how horrendous that can be. And I just know that as it stands right now, if some sweeping measure happened to change abortion first, 
Mm -hmm. uh, there would be a lot of children in dire need. And so I was just wondering if that was something that was working hand in hand at that. um, Yeah. Okay. I think the pro-life movement as a whole is absolutely uh, working to not only abolish abortion, but to um, help support the adoption of born children. As an organization and on a personal level, I too do support and um, work actively to push those processes. Okay, gotcha. I just, it's only because you have to understand sure. that as someone on the outside of it, um, mm-hmm. it does sound like both sides talk in sweeping generalizations like abortions are, like, should always be okay or abortions should always be stopped. And I just feel like what we're talking about here is children who will be living oftentimes with parents who can't take care of them. And that's the part that's confusing for me. I wish that we talked a little bit more about that side of it, but that's a separate issue entirely. I was just curious what you thought about that. But so, so now that I know, um, essentially the main reason that you voted for Trump, did you find him to have a helpful stance on that issue on the abortion issue? You know, he, he says he admits that he hasn't always been pro-life. Um, he aligns with the, you know, kind of the basic exceptions, for example, the rape exception. Um, you know, if you were to fundamentally look at that, uh, or the exceptions that he is suggesting for abortion, I guess you could, um, you could break it down and, and explain the inconsistencies. However, um, in terms of the best possible solution or the best possible platform for the defense of preborn children. I think it was clear that Trump was the, and, and still is the better vote um, over Clinton. And so, and so I know you've said that you're essentially a one issue voter. Did you pay attention to the rest of the platform at all or very much, or was it mainly just you're paying, you know, a lot of attention to that issue on both sides? Uh, great question. I don't even know that the abortion issue um, got too much attention this uh, election cycle. Um, so inevitably, I think that um, I was able to pick up on other issues. Uh, but again, I, I have to say that while digesting all the information and, and trying to be an informed voter and, and, and being sure I know about certain issues, um, you know, abortion is always my first priority in terms of my vote. Okay. Okay. So I think I, I think I get a good sense of where you're coming from on this one. I'm curious, um, kind of setting aside why you voted for him, because I think we've kind of established that. Uh, I think that a lot of people are confused as to how people for voted for him kind of saw or perceived him as he was campaigning, because I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of us had a very negative impression of him, even just as a person when he was campaigning. I'm just curious, like, what your immediate impressions were, if you had any or anything like that. Uh, No, I did not have any strong emotional reactions to either candidate. Initially, I didn't think he would make it as far as he did. But as he kind of gained momentum and the reality of him being, you know, the Republican nomination became more and more likely, um, it was time to sit down and really take a look at, okay, if this is the Republican candidate, and I know that I vote for the Republican platform because of its stance on abortion, then I need to take a look at this guy more seriously. Uh, there are obviously um, some statements that he has made that are distasteful. I think that, and to be fair, I think both candidates have done and have said distasteful things. 
Um, I think that's difficult to look at, you know, when you um, just want what's best for your country, you want what's best for your fellow citizens, and you definitely don't want people to um, be so divided um, and to hear statements that um, would be divisive, you know, on such a public platform is, is difficult and it's disheartening. Um, I guess that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. um, So I was curious about something that you said at the beginning about, like, you were talking about minority groups or something like that. This is something that one of the crowdsourced uh, people asked for me to ask the Trump voters, and I I am curious about it, uh, just especially because you referenced it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people who did not vote for Donald Trump are confused about if Trump voters believe that racism is a problem today. Um, so I'm just curious, like what your stance is on racism, if you think it's real, if you thought it was part of this election process, if you think that it wasn't at all. Okay. Uh, first question, do I think racism is a real thing? Yes, absolutely. Um, to answer that question, I would say that, you know, both Clinton and Trump said things that that are questionable, that um, they're disrespectful to certain populations in our country, and uh, they're stereotypical, <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, you think about the hot sauce, and you think about the, the, the Chipotle taco bowl, and, you know, but um, it, I think that's stereotyping. I think that racism is alive, I, and, um, and I think that you saw a little bit, a bit of it come out in terms of... Um, voters. But in terms of the candidates, I would say it's something more like identity politics at a very, very sad state. So you say you saw it um, more so in the voters. What do you what do you mean by that? You know, the extremists. That's what I mean. The extremists on either side, the, the people that, you know, they're they're letting hate rule their lives. And I and I, and I have to believe that um, it, it was there before this election. And um and people choosing to, to hate one another instead of love one another, d- d- despite differences. Um, and uh, us now choosing to uh, to focus on that and say, look at the racism, look at the hate in our country. Um, while I think talking about issues that are real issues is critical to solving systemic um, violence, if you will, like racism, I think, however, we often do it in the wrong way. We are, we're beating a dead horse saying racism is alive and well, and we're not talking about these solutions. We're essentially saying in order to solve it, our best solution is to acknowledge it. Well, it's been acknowledged. I mean, ask, ask the, the person on the wrong end of racism, is it real? And, and it's clear to see it's now the question is, what are we doing to, to fix it? And so I think that was probably the most frustrating thing to see in this election is just the sensationalism that surrounded um, the racism. And, it, and it's like the, 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 the idea that every, everybody in America is racist or anti-racist. And there's no, there's no, there's, there's no alternative to, to those groups. So, yeah, I would say that um, that was very frustrating to see. Yeah. Uh, that leads me into another question that someone else asked, which is, um, okay. What was your view on the news and media during this uh, campaign cycle? Oh boy, that's, that's a good <laughs> question. I'm glad somebody asked that question. You know, um, 
I, so I typically listened to NPR. I just like NPR. And, um, you know, I think that even in their reports, it was obvious, um, who was being supported. Um, so, but I, I don't think that's an egregious thing to say that one media source versus another is going to support one candidate over another. I think that's actually a very normal thing. Um, I think that the sensationalism of the election this time around was probably greater than certainly the last election and the election before that and so on. So do Um, you feel like, I'm just curious, when you're talking about the sensationalism, do you mean mainly like the main news sites and sources or do you mean just in general? Uh, in general, I would say that it, it probably pervades all of the media. It's not just CNN and Fox News and, and MSNBC. It, I mean, I, I see it as down from from the big dogs all the way down to the tiny little blogger um, that it was just it was blown up. Did you feel like there was any news source that you could trust or did you find yourself gravitating to a new type of news source that you could trust? Um. I kind of stayed in line with BBC and NPR, and then I tried to draw from other sources to to balance the facts that they were giving and then using wisdom that people could only gain through, you know, for example, in the Bible, I've read that, um, you know, you need to use wisdom to decipher truth, you know. Okay, NPR said this. I know they have that swing, so they aren't they aren't trying to be ill willed when they say that. They're trying to report this fact, and so I think it's just combining, um, you know, seeking truth, not being a um, an inactive citizen because you believe that all media is out to screw us screw us over, but saying you know what the media is there to serve a purpose. Um, they might be taking things out of proportion, um, but let me gain from it what I can. And then try to draw sound conclusions, I should say. Yeah, I think that you've probably surprised a lot of people who did not vote for Donald Trump by saying BBC and NPR, which I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, another thing is, another thing is, um, I don't like Fox News. They're they're crazy over there. I don't like CNN and MSNBC because they're they're only reporting on one side of the issue. I think NPR and BBC they they're probably the pretty midline. They they I I can get a little bit of both. I think when I was listening to NPR in my car riding in my radio and everything, yeah, it's like they they'd say a story. Um, uh, they'd interview a supporter of of Clinton or I should say an anti-Trump supporter, but then you know in the next minute they're interviewing a Trump supporter. And I'm like, you know, I can appreciate that. I, I think I, I see where NPR aligns in this election, but I can really appreciate the fact that they're going to present both sides of the, of the election. Um, speaking of that, I'm wondering, knowing that you have essentially a one-issue vote in your pocket, sure. I'm curious, um, is there any part of you that is, you know, nervous about his presidency? Are you mostly Are you mostly trusting? Are you mostly, you know feeling good about it or is part of you nervous? Um, hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't think I would use the word nervous at all. Um, it almost, you know, he had, it's not just him making decisions. Thank God. Um, and I think that when any new president is elected, there's a sense of, okay, what's going to happen from, Certainly, for example, when Obama was elected the first time, 
And then with Trump, I know that there's conservatives and liberals alike that are nervous. Um, I don't know if things will be more of just the same old, same old than we probably expect. You know, we always think, you know, half the country is just going to fall off into the ocean or something like that. But, you know, we're move- we have been moving in a certain direction as a country. And um, while I think many people could argue that Trump is the opposite of that direction or in the, the other direction, uh, you know, our country is a reflection of its people. And if the people are pushing one way, regardless of who's in power, we're going to slowly move that way more than we're going to move back the other way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It does make sense to me in a logic sense. I think that, um, like you're saying, conservatives and liberals alike are nervous. But I think a lot of the reason that a lot of my liberal friends are nervous is because of the unprecedented power that his seat has right now. I think it's really fascinating because he has majorities in mm-hmm every single branch of government which hasn't happened for like a hundred years and including potentially like one to three appointments in the supreme court um yeah that raises my heart be a little bit because actually before i say this i want to ask you how you see him do you see him as a republican or as something else i see him assuming the platform that he needs to assume in order to become president Personally, I I don't know where he stands when he goes to bed at night. Well, that sounds weird. He's obviously not standing when he goes to bed at night. But I mean, <laughs> I what I meant is that you know it, that I could never even say is he a true Republican or not. Um, I think that he's he's assuming that role. I should say. Yeah. So, do you feel like if he's assuming a role, that there's a potential mm-hmm. that it's fake? <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, you know, how do I how do I explain this? I mean, I, I want to be honest that in many ways, yes, that people that um, that enter into new realms like they've never been in politics and then they're there, then they're there. It's not necessarily that it's, that it's, that it's fake, but that they're, they need to adapt. They need to assume that role. They need to get into that position. Um, and so I think it's a process of becoming that role. It's a process of assuming it. It's a process of learning it. And, um, so not so much that it's fake, but that it's, it's not totally there yet. You know, it's like, if you want to learn to become a soccer player, for example, um, you have to learn, you know, you can't just wake up in the next morning. Like I'm a professional soccer player. Um, although it's a little bit, I guess you could say it's a little bit different in the election because he is waking up one morning and saying, I'm the president and I'm the Republican president. Um, but I think that it's right now, I think it's my duty to support him, um, in as he is president, um, and th- I could say the same if Clinton was president, um, had she won that it would definitely be my duty to my responsibility to, um, support the president, um, to ensure, I guess you could say a, a more peaceful America. Um, I guess that is maybe one more question I could ask is just, sure. What has it felt like watching I don't know, so much outcry when you feel pretty confident in your vote? Um, 
I guess maybe it's best just to show anybody for whatever reason they are um, displaying this outcry, just, just show them uh, honest to goodness grace and just say, Hey, um, I know we disagreed about this election and I, I hear your, I, I hear you. Um, and I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm your enemy, but rather that we disagreed on something that is critical and is major, but that doesn't make us enemies. And I think that there's probably a lot of Trump voters that now realize it's up to us, the, the Trump voters, to show the non-Trump voters um, that that we aren't what perhaps um, we've been cast um, as and um, to just continue to be gracious and speak truth to our neighbors. I think that's a pretty awesome place to end it, unless you have anything else you wanted to add. No, no, not at all. Thank you so much for for, uh, allowing me to answer these questions with you. And since we spoke to Anna before the inauguration, we just wanted to let her give you a little bit of an update. Here it is. Quote, Turns out Trump is very much following through on his campaign promises. While the delivery of some of his decisions could have and should have been better managed, I do believe that he is desiring to bring about a more secure, prosperous America. I am deeply troubled by the media's nearly one-sided approach to everything Trump, though not at all surprised. As we discussed a few weeks ago, I'm beginning to wonder if it is truly a free press at all. Seems more like a very one-sided agenda, but I digress. I will say that I am pleased to see so many Americans taking to the streets, literally and figuratively, to champion the plight of those that might be fleeing persecution and injustice. I can only hope such focus extends beyond the 90-day time period of these immigration limitations. I think it's critical to not only consider that many of these people are looking for refuge, but to ask ourselves why do they seek it? Do we care about that also? I pray that outrage isn't merely a disguised outrage at the president and his new powers. I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful. Thanks again to Anna. Today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. For all of you who don't know what it is, Audible is the world's largest producer of audiobooks, and they have over 180,000 different titles to choose from. After listening to the episode, you can head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash belief and get a free audiobook along with a 30-day membership trial. For those of you who need a recommendation, I'm actually currently in the middle of listening to When Breath Becomes Air, and it was recommended to me by a friend, and it's about a neurosurgeon who has spent his career saving lives and then is diagnosed with cancer himself, so he sort of reflects on the challenge of being faced with dying as well as the relationship between doctor and patient as he transitions from one to the other. It's really sad, but really amazing, and I strongly recommend it. Again, just head over to audibletrial.com forward slash suspendbelief and get a free audiobook along with a 30-day membership trial. My name is Marion, and I am Cheryl's friend. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from? And I am from uh, Texas, uh, born in New Orleans, raised totally Texas, so I have that total, they say you sound just like that, so <laughs> I've got um, divorced, live outside of the Waco area, and 
with my son and absolutely, without a doubt, was so entirely just happy when Trump won. I was like, yes. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a person, I said in my prayers before, we need a person who's not attached really to any, you know, favor. Uh, we're tired of people who have favors and special ideas and special needs and special whatevers. And we want somebody who knows it from a business sense. You know, when that hit me, I thought, man, he has got business. He's, he's got this. Okay. Because we've had enough yeah. politicians. We want somebody who under, understands it from our side, what we do without, what we need. And people say, well, he has a silver spoon. It doesn't matter. I want the guy with the silver spoon because... He knows what's at the top, and he's looking, and he goes, wow, that really is affecting the majority of those people over there. Wow, that really is, you know, harming these people. That's, you know, and he's been in the know. He's heard things we are never going to hear, and he knows things we're not going to know. And he can go in there and say, this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, or you were bad, you were wrong. No, I'm not going to be politically correct. Yeah. What is your political affiliation? Have you always related to the GOP or have you like how have you voted in the past? Republican. People think yeah. that's crazy, but Oh, why is that? They say, "Well, you know, the Democrats care." And I say, "The Democrats oppress you so they can show they care." Oh, they go, "Hey, sit sit down. No, oh, no, that's okay. Don't work. Don't no, no, don't try. Sit. Go ahead. Sit down." And the Republican looks at you in my way of thinking, and he says, hey, get up. I'm not going to support you. Are you going to do something? You think that it's more like a pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. You can, they need to do something for themselves. Okay. Because you can plan people to death. You can help somebody to death, and they become dependent. And it's not necessarily their fault, but, you know, you, you can help somebody to their own end versus say, hey, are you capable of this, this, and this? And the person goes, well, yeah, of course. So do you think then that that everyone in the United States is afforded the same, the same opportunities for people to be able to stand up and help themselves? No, I don't. But I do believe that people who have a good education, mm-hmm. who come from a good home, who have a good standard of living, and they say, oh, Look at that. Isn't that cute? All oh, those poor people. Oh, you know what? We need more. We need to help them. We need to make it better for them. Okay, well, this person who's saying this has never done without lodging, never done without their education because they're educated and they're, and they're worthy and they're a good person. They wake up every day. They have a, a, a good life, and they find it hard to understand the mom who wakes up and doesn't have food for her children or the mom who has three jobs, the parents who, you know, can't pull the load of taking care of all their children. So when I see somebody and they go, oh, you know, we should all get together, darn it, and sing Kumbaya. Really, where I come from, Kumbaya doesn't feel, you feed me. I don't want promises. I want opportunities. I see. Yeah. An opportunity is different than, than an entitlement. I, I don't want you to give me food. I don't want you to, to give me housing. I'm, I'm hard-headed. I want you to show me how I can get it for myself. Right, okay. Uh, so you see that Trump can afford these opportunities for people? I see that even though he comes from a lot, 
he has the gift of knowing what appeals to basic people, what appeals to everyday man, mm-hmm. which is his home, his job, his family, his, his religious affiliation, whatever that is, just to be able to have that 1950s way of life where there used to be mom, dad, the a American home. American dream. I think that's what you yes. Yeah, yes. that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want the guy who says, come on, Maria, if you put the effort, I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. What was your initial reaction to Donald Trump? Actually, it was disbelief, and I'm like, really? You mean there can be somebody who's not attached at the hip or at the shoulder or at the pocketbook to somebody else times 50? And I said, please, dear Lord, let this man, if he is true of heart, let him get in this, you know, be in this race. Let him make it through all of the negative all of the pull, all of the swaying away from this, let him make it through. Let him be in it because he has a plan. So what do you think about his administration then? You know, because many of his uh, chosen appointments are all men of a lot of money. Yes, I see that. But I see that he does have standards on how he's picking them. You know, my theory would be nice if people were in their positions, if they were in there because they truly believed the people in their district, the people in their area were hurting, were needing, not just, oh, you know, I've got mine, I've got mine, and I just got to go out there and wave and kiss a few babies and be nice, and, and I think people should be there because they want to be, and by their skill level, and by their trueness of heart, and if he can run the whole race, and he cannot depend on anyone else's money, and then they can say, well, you know, he didn't show us taxes, as he pointed out about Hillary's friends. Hey, your friends don't show theirs either, do they? You know, people are so worried about PC. I don't need the PC. I need the man in the office who has the plan, who's going to do what's right. If he has a temper, if he has being a regular person on his side, you know, he's a regular person. I mean, look at what other people in the past have done. Look at all the indiscretions. Look at all the things they've done. And people stood by him. You're not bothered by all of the offensive, many offensive things that Trump said throughout his, throughout the election process about very many different communities of people, including Latinos? I would have to say all of us at one time or another have said or done things that people, you know, people say rash things. And I don't believe for what somebody says that can be held over their actions. Everybody's human, and I understand this, but I'm looking at the bigger picture here, people. I think underneath it all, past all that mess and all that, that misdirection and all them things he, he really should not have said, really truly should not have said, that there is a person in there that has the business sense to say, this costs too much, this is wrong. He's had issues. He's, they say, well, he's filed bankruptcy. I have an right. ex-husband who's filed it three times. You know, I want a man that I I can wake up and think, he's got my back. Because people go, well, you know, Hillary, she's female. She's way too mean behind the scenes. I mean, a guy who's mean, hey, when we see a guy who's mean or he's loud, we don't think nothing of it, in a sense. We see a woman who's got an attitude, that's bad. That is bad. Uh, So, so do you, how do you feel about how, like, you know, the Department of Intelligence in the United States has very good reason to believe that Russia was involved with Trump's election. How do you feel about that? 
it's going to sound foolish again because, you know, here I am, just little old me. I, I don't believe it. Okay. Do you mind if I ask what news outlets you follow? I was watching the Fox, Fox CNN. News. Mm-hmm. Fox News, right? Yeah, Fox News. I like Fox News. Then I started watching, and it sounds silly because, of course, it's a, a YouTube channel. People <laughs> probably laugh at me or something. But I started a watching Next Network. Yeah, you know, because, because, you know, and I did watch Alex Jones, but, you know, you you know, you want to collect us and you want to make us all upset, but you don't have a plan, you know, so, you, you know, but you want to sell us vitamins. It just got really mm-hmm. weird. So mm-hmm. I just want someone who tells me what's going on with who I particularly believe in and how that person is affecting the people that I want to just give him a chance. And I want people like yourself and others who have YouTube, you know, type channels for news <laughs> to, to, to speak to us, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to say, I know this, I saw this, we have proof, you know, CBS or ABC or, you know, M- NBC aren't going to say this, you know, we need people, even if we don't agree with them, that's why I'm, that's a, another part of why I'm for him. Hey, even if you don't agree with him, be smart enough to see, see past and go, you know what? He said ugly things. He did some bad things. But guess what? I mean, his draw alone when he went to, you know, to talk to the American people mm-hmm. was so phenomenal. People were like, I am tired. I just want better for my family. I'm, I'm, I'm a poor working man or a poor working woman or an average citizen, and I just want better. I just want that, that which is not given to me. Okay. I want to earn it. So, you know, you, you know, you, when you were speaking to Cheryl, you originally said that you feel that it's Trump's time to fix our ills and make America great. And yeah. you know, it was like our last ch- opportunity for everything to heal. So how, how do you think yeah. Trump would do that? He would look at the, at the most frustrating part for us. When all of us go home at the end of the day, if we haven't been able to make enough to support our families, mm-hmm. we're frustrated. You know, especially myself as a mom, we can't give. You know, we hear our children asking. We hear, you know, our bill collectors saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. And it's not even a bill of, hey, I went and had my nails and my hair done or something like that. It's rent, electric, water, things you have to have short of living in a tree. And so you say to yourself, I can't, I'm not making this. What do I do if he just says everybody wants not to be a millionaire? I mean, that's let's not be silly, but... To be able to supply to their family the needs for their family. To be able to walk around with your head up and say, not only am I in America, I am an American through and through. I think if he hits us where we have the jobs and puts that out there and says, you know what, we've got this many people here and we've got this many people here. He has, he's not even in office yet. And I, and I, I believe he's making leaps and bounds ahead of of anything. I mean, people are drawn to him because they say he's different, he's fresh. Okay, he's not a politician. You can learn about politics. You can't learn how to be a good person. You can't learn how to care. You can't learn how to be the one. And I think he's the one in the sense that he wants to pull us together. I don't think, I mean, he said and he acted foolishly, but I don't think given the correct time or or chances I, I don't think he would mess it up well you know so you mentioned so you know you were talking about you know jobs 
Um, and I know that, you know, Trump has claimed that he will bring more jobs. And so do you, mm-hmm. what, what do you think he's going to do for that? What's his plan for that? I think he's going to look at either what's moving to Mexico or what's moving out of the United States, just, you know, compl- just away from us and say, you know, we've got to pull this back. All these companies, I've been in companies. I know how to talk to these people. I've been in boardrooms with these people. I've been on their, people say, their side. I've been with them. I've rubbed elbows with them. I know how they think. How many other presidents were actual, true, hardcore businessmen? How, how many people can say, you know, yeah, I, I filed bankruptcy however many times, and yeah, I have this, and, and, and yeah, this is my thoughts on this other stuff over here. I, I think he'll hold people accountable. I think on the cost basis alone and the holding people to, to what they say they can do or can't do, and being non-PC, I think that's three good things about him. We don't need PC. PC, walking up to somebody, if I walk to somebody and I go, hey, how are you? Oh, you're so cute today. And I say all these wonderful things when really, in my head, there's this voice wanting to go, hey, really, come on. Now, you know that's wrong. You shouldn't be saying that. You should say what's really going on here. You know, don't tell them they're a good person when they're not, you know. Is that um, what PC, is that what PC To me, is? yes politically correct you can't don't don't have a thought don't have a don't say anything don't don't be individual if you believe it's wrong you got to go with what everybody else is kind of thinking you know the norm you know say what you think people are so afraid i mean myself i i try to say what i think so donald trump has been outwardly sexist many many times do you oh, yes. think that that had anything to do with the election like i believe he is sexist but i believe it comes with being a man men are going to say oh we don't you know after all some of those things he said people said we don't talk like that in the locker room i'm like really i've passed you and you've said worse than that you know so for men to all of a sudden become pc and say they don't really we, we don't really talk like that we he's bad and you know men are going to be foolish at a point so my deal is yes we need to grow up and get past it it think of it as part and parcel okay that's part of him okay as long as his mouth can be doing this as long as his hands and his mind are doing something to make america better i'm good you can't put you can't take women and say, Okay, you wanted to be out in the world, you want to have an opportunity, you want to have a chance, you want to be out there with the guys. Now 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 ladies, ladies, we are gonna make it where the guys don't act like they normally act. And we're gonna make it better because you guys are here. So it's not gonna be real. It's gonna be PC. We're gonna we're gonna dumb it down for you. Take those pink sunglasses off and say, Okay, I'm I'm gonna look past that. I'm grown. You can't uh, have women in the workplace and women in the world and it be all the guys are good. Why not? You know, and all the guys are fair. You can't because all the women aren't. All the women aren't good and all the women aren't fair. So if we want to be together in the workplace and we want to be together out there, I'm not saying we should be put through physically, you know, being uh, wronged. But I'm saying if, some, if, if guys say something, they're not necessarily coming at you. They're, ju- they're just saying something, something cute or funny. And, y- and you look at them and you go, wow, <laughs> that took a long time for you to think of that one, didn't it? And you just walk away because so, you're smarter. You don't think that a lot of that has to do with, you know, perhaps 
how a person is raised, like if a boy is raised to be respectful towards women, what I mean is you see it more as that just boys will be boys as opposed to something that has to do with raising them to think differently, as well with women too, as everybody. Yes. I mean, I, I, I do one hundred, I mean, one million percent believe, <laughs> here, here's my key ingredient to the world. Everything wrong with the world begins at home. And people say, why? I say, because it's how you're raised and how you're started as a, as a seed in this world is where your, where your ideas and where your thoughts and where your hopes and dreams come from. So if you're in a bad situation, people go, well, you know, I've seen people, you know, live in the slums and fight past that, and I've seen people, you know, get past particular situations. That's true. But if in my heart you raise me in a penthouse in New York, and I've got butlers and maids and stuff, and I'm still bent upstairs and I still want to have a bad attitude, that's not helping. I mean, it, it is part of it. It is. It is how you're raised. It is what your center is inside of you, what you believe, you know, the true you. First, we need to take that thin skin off to a point, and we need to put thick skin and teach our our daughters and our sons, because it happens to boys, too. Boys get their feelings hurt, and we need to say, hey, when people say things, remember, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Think about it like that. I know they stick with you, but they don't hurt you. So you let those people have their thoughts, and you let those people go on with their mis- impressions about you but you know what you know inside that you're a good person so it's more of um of people sort of holding themselves accountable to who they're with yes. and but you don't think that stuff gets in the way of like you know people who actually have power like if a man believes that women can't do the job then they're not going to give the women the job you know even if they can do the job that's usually where at least for me you know it starts to get problematic is when it starts to yes. rule your life Yes, and that's true. And that's where you have people who were bad to begin with mm-hmm. and people who have and they're bad and they're not going to be any different. And you, But people who are ill are going to be ill mm-hmm. and they must be dealt with. They must be removed at, at a point and, and told, hey, you know what? You own the business. You treat these women poorly. It's the good old boys club. You, sir, will be put out of business eventually. It will happen because the women will just quit. Go off, form their, form their own company. It's sad to say they can't be here and be happy. They have to be dealt with. You show you're the bigger person. And, and you just say, you know what, I'm not even going to deal with you. So then um, when I was, uh, I was speaking to Cheryl, she, she told me that you were Latina, and I was wondering if you identify with being Latina. No. My um, ex-husband was, but I'm not. No. Okay. So, so how do you feel about, you know, the, um, the wall and immigrants and that sort of thing? I mean, there's a lot of things that go on over in Mexico that are scary. I mean, as far as crime, as far as mm-hmm. what, you know, um, how the people are treated. And my big thing, and I don't know if this would fix it, my big thing is that I would love for Mexico to stand proud and say, we care about our people, mm-hmm. and we are going to fix our situation. We are going to make this such a fantastic country that our people are going to go, you know what? We don't need America. We don't need uh, Texas. We want to be here. It's beautiful. It has opportunities, but it can't happen right now because people aren't, people aren't putting back into those people. And that's fine. But hey, this is my country too. 
and, and we have people come over from foreign descent, and they say, hey, you know, we want to get educated. No, I'm good with that. I'm good with people getting educated, as long as it's an education to the betterment of society, not some evil plan times four. I know that there was a lot of talk about how uh, the Trump administration wanted to have Mexico pay for the wall, right? But now we have heard rumors that it will actually be coming out of taxpayer dollars or uh, chain gangs, you know, will have to build the Mm -hmm. wall. So uh, what uh, what are your thoughts on that? Actually, uh, the last I heard on it, they said they were kind of sort of going to go with that. It's going to happen. So, yeah, I think Mexico should pay for the wall. I do. You know why? Because we're not coming into your country and affecting you. You're coming over here, and you're affecting us. And if you don't want to hold your people accountable, and you don't want to say, tisk tisk can't do that, shouldn't do that, but then in that same tisk tisk they should say, we, as Mexico, should do better by our people. Our people would not want to just run over there and make money. Mm-hmm. The country should support its people. In all the other countries, they have their rules and regulations, and I wish I was smart enough to know each and every country how they do. But you go over there and you act foolish, they will lock you up in a heartbeat. They we say, also have mass incarceration rates, too, though. Yes, we do. We have foolish mass incarceration. We have yeah. foolish, foolish, and, and very foolish. Why do you think it's so foolish? What are your thoughts on that? Because third strike, you're, third strike, you're out? Come on. There's people who, when Clinton, you know, that was his, his, his legacy, you know, third strike, you're out. It's a minority and all that. And I know it's just a big old broom, and it just sweeps everybody up and goes, we're just tired of dealing with y'all. Go on. Put them in jail. It, like, it has to have a limit. Okay, if it's not from here, draw a line sand. If it's not this or worse, we don't even want to know about y'all. It shouldn't always be severe. Okay, but, I think it's really interesting you say that because prisons are very privatized and, and uh, corporations oh, yes. have a lot of stake in using prisoners to work for them without yes. pay. So, And it's unfair. And, and they treat them bad. And, and it's not rehabilitation. It's, mm-hmm. it's housing. It's prison... And it sounds weird. Prison is to adults what daycare is to children. It's a place to be housed. You know, people drop their kids off. Okay, you know, or drop their kids off at at public school even. Those teachers aren't paid but minimum wage. And they're raising them on minimum wage, taking perfect, wonderful, awesome care of your child. Hasn't the uh, Trump administration claimed that they wanted to lower minimum wage? No, I don't think they have. I think think he was big on we're not going to go 15 and above. But think about it. If everybody was making 15, what's that going to do to my cost of my loaf of bread? Oh, I mean, so inflation, it's gonna, you would fear inflation. It's going to rock our world. One yeah. of the things that was uh, talked a lot about, you know, during the election was that uh, Trump, uh, dur- you know, in media was, you know, he said a lot of awful things and uh, he was a bit of a bully. And we like, you know, are afraid that our children are going to grow up with someone who's president of the United States of America who acts that way. When we tell our children, we try to raise our children to not be that way. Um, how, do you feel, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like we had a man who was in office and he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> okay, what, what, what is your term of sexual relations, sir? I don't want to deal with the fact you're, you're, you have infidelities. I mean, I know you're a guy. That, that says it right there. You guys aren't capable of controlling from the waist down. But, but the thing is, you know, no one ever said, 
well, you know, Clinton's a bad role model. You know, he's up there in the White House doing, you know, who, who said that? It, so it's like we people saying, well, Trump accountable for that then? I, hey, what, what do they say? Um, uh, Heaven physically, you know, uh, I, I don't think he's of that sort. I can see where he wouldn't need to stray. Now he can put his mind on his business. Well, uh, I am so sorry. I probably bore you. No, 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 you're fine. Uh, No, you're okay. I uh, appreciate you, you know, answering my questions and having this conversation with me. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you, even though I'm not as worldly or as... uh, as up to, you know, modern on everything that maybe I, I feel, uh, you know, I'm not a millennial person, I'm an older person, so, you know, so, so maybe my views are not of the upcoming, you know, women and men that can see things that maybe I don't see, but I'm just hoping for good for everybody. That's all I want, good for everybody. You know, I, I, it's not a Maria personal, it's not a, a white people personal, <laughs> it's just everybody, you know, pull them together. My, my whole thing is Trump, please, I say in my prayers, please pull them together and show them, show them that we can do this. Show them that we don't got to go by sex. We don't got to go by color. We, you know, just go by, are you guys looking for an opportunity? Do you guys want to do better? And all of us raise our hand and him say, follow me. Let's go. You know, I, I want him to say, I want him to live up to that one thing he said, at the end of this all, you guys are all going to be so happy. You're going to say, man, not only is America great again, but that we learned how to be <clears throat> out there with our voices, how to not sit for 10, 20 years and not vote, you know, how to get out there and say, I do count. People go, they, your, your vote don't count. It does. I think it does. Okay. I think we all count. Believe it or not, if I could pick one person in the world to spend a day with, oh, God, a week would be beyond awesome, Trump. And I don't want him to talk to me, and I don't want him to do anything special. I just want to watch, and I just want to learn in a business day how he does it. What is he doing? How does he, you know, because you know, they say if it, knowledge is power. Right. And the one thing that keeps the poor man separate from the rich man, the one thing, you could take both of them and throw them in the desert completely naked. What what keeps them uh, separate? The one with the knowledge is going to survive. And here's Maria's update on Trump's presidency since the inauguration. Quote, he has surpassed my expectations as a leader, and I know his second term will be worth the wait. His leadership is bringing out the true conservatives in America who had no one to lead them. I do still believe he is our last hope. All right, so that wraps up our two-part episode on Donald Trump. I hope um, that all of you learned as much as we did. I know that was really beneficial for both Cheryl and I um, in terms of just learning what um, Trump voters were thinking throughout the election and what they're thinking now. Um, So again, I hope you really enjoyed it as much as we did. I think it's important to also mention that there is no possible way for us to represent all of the Trump voters um, with just four interviews. So obviously this is just four people and four opinions, but we hope that you got to learn something from them as we did. And for next time, what are we doing, Cheryl? We're going to be doing another informational episode, the first one of this season, on sanctuary cities. 
Um, they've been getting a lot of press and coverage, and I think that it's really easy to be misinformed about what they actually are, what they can do, um, and what role they can play as this new political climate continues. Um, and I think Cheryl and I actually both live in sanctuary cities. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm in New York and she's in Denver. So. Cool. So if you guys have any ideas, um, please contact us on social media. As always, check out our website, suspendbeliefpodcast.com. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>